Welcome to the Geek to Geek podcast, where tea time with students is questionable. I'm Void, and I'm here with my co-host, Beige. Kopate Gavna? That's creepy. Did you ever have it's tea awful. time with your students? I'm guessing no, because that's weird. No. Okay. No, that's weird. Like, we, we played things like The Floor is Lava, but no tea time. Yeah, today we're talking about Fire Emblem, because you get tea time with students. That's not why we're talking about it, but it's one of those things that I definitely needed to have a conversation about. But Fire Emblem Three Houses just came out, and... This is not like a super in-depth spoiler full review or anything because I've I've played like nine hours, but I feel like I'm just barely scratching the surface because there's so much to this game. And I just want to talk about like early impressions because I've definitely played enough that like I have a feel for it and I know what it's offering and I know that I'm going to like buy in really hard because it's my kind of game. But also you were kind of going back and forth on like, do you want it? Do you not want it? Like, how does it balance with the other games of the fall, right? Yeah, because there are so many of them that are coming out in the fall that I absolutely want to play. And it's it's one of those games where I'm really, really interested in it. And I like what they've done with the social aspect of it, where they're going in more of the persona route. I also look at the length of the game and how much you can invest in it, where like the main story for one of the houses is supposed to be around 80 hours. And that's kind of intimidating when you can have to do that three times so that you you see the entire story. So I'm not really sure if I want to invest in this yet. I need to hear from you about what it would be like for a newbie to get in because I've never played a, a Fire Emblem game either. Okay, I think I forgot that you hadn't played one. This is probably a decent place to jump in. I will say that like, so in general, from like high level, and this is probably good for listeners too. you know, Fire Emblem is a turn-based strategy game, but it's also totally a game like Persona type of thing where you have a lot of like these one-on-one relationships and that's just as important as the battles. Like if you wanted to, you could just play it as a straight-up strategy game and ignore a lot of that, but that would like defeat a lot of the purpose of it. Just like in Persona, you don't have to do the social links, but if you're not, you're missing like a core part of the experience. That's kind of what Fire Emblem is these days. It's not what it started out as. It started out as just a pure strategy game, turn-based strategy, but Fire Emblem was like, they were almost going to kill it. And then they did Awakening. And Awakening was the first one where they really built these like relationships into the core of the game. And that's when it took off. That's when people actually latched onto it on like a mass market level. Um, and so they've expanded that game by game. And this is the one with like the most Persona DNA in it that I've seen so far out of all of those games. Are all of the Fire Emblem games set in the same world? Because that's something I've never known on whether or not they're like Final Fantasy games and where you have series of them like, uh, what is it, Fates and Birthright, where there are like, I know they're the same series, but it's like you have one written down in here, Radiant Dawn and Fire Emblem. Emblem uh, Three Houses, are these in the same world as the rest of them? No, they're mostly disconnected. There's a couple like loose connections between a few of them, but for the most part, it's like Final Fantasy, where like everyone okay. is different. Um, it's not like Final Fantasy in that like the core combat system doesn't change that much. Like that's the part that's stable game to game. Um, oh yeah, but a lot of the other things change from one game to another. So okay, good. So this isn't going to be something where if I'm jumping in on three houses, that with it being a social game, I'm not going to miss out on everything. I'm not going to have a lot of back- story that I have to understand because it's a new setting, basically. 
Yeah, you wouldn't have any backstory that you've missed out on. Like, okay. the only thing they've ever done like that was when they did Fate, and they had, like, two different versions of it, and that was more like Pokemon, where, like, you could go, like, one house first or the other from your base package, and then you could, like, buy an expansion pack to do the other one. They did some, like, weird stuff with that. But outside of that one instance, mostly they're divided from each other, and they're all kind of their own standalone game. Okay, cool. I actually didn't know that because I knew about the Fates thing, and that's the only thing that I knew, really, because of us talking about it, how you had to play multiple games to get every aspect of the story. Yeah, that one was weird. It's not representative. And this one okay. definitely has everything in one package. You just buy the game once and you get access to all of the three different houses and storylines and all of that kind of stuff. So they cleaned it up for this one, which is great. Like, that's a big improvement. Okay, good. Yeah. So... This is the first Fire Emblem game that I've ever played not on a handheld system. Like, I played Awakening, and I played Fates, and I've played uh, Fire Emblem Heroes on mobile, but... I wasn't playing this game series back when it was out on Wii with, I think it was Radiant Dawn, if I'm remembering right. So this is the first time I've gotten to see it like on a TV and it's awesome because the graphics are better and it's large and I don't know. I just, I like it. I like sitting in front of a big TV playing video games. Like that's, you know, I do a lot of that. And I didn't know that there was a Wii version of it. I thought they were entirely on handheld systems. I really didn't know that there was ever a console release. Yeah, I think it actually started on consoles with like the NES or it might have actually been just Famicom because I think it just started oh, in Japan. Wow. Um, yeah, but they go way, way back and then they moved to handheld for a little while and they kind of went back and forth. So it's been all over. It's been back and forth between like handheld and console over time. Well, I've got to do some research on it then. I didn't yeah. realize it was that far back. Like the lot, the first time I remember was, oh goodness, I want to say, oh goodness, I don't even remember. I know I remember reading about it as a preview in Nintendo Power was how long ago it was. But I was thinking that for was for a handheld then, like a, a Game Boy or Game Boy Advance maybe. Yeah, that sounds right. There was like a Game Boy or Game Boy Advance version. But that's the first time I remember it, so I don't even, man, I don't even remember the uh, the ones all the way back. Were they? Did they ever come to? Eng did they ever get translated into English? Not a lot of them, I don't think. And you're asking the wrong person because, like, I haven't gone that far back into the series history. I've really only latched on ever since Awakening, and then I paid attention going forward. And I just okay. kind of like ancillary know that like it's been around. But I think from what I understand, it's been around for a really long time. A lot of them didn't come to like Western markets. It was mostly like Japan, um, no translations or anything. They slowly made their way over because honestly, Smash Brothers, like uh, the characters started showing up in Smash Brothers. And then people were like, who are these? And then they kind right. of brought Fire Emblem over after that. It was a really weird order of the way that things happened. But they never like grew in the West and really latched on to our market until fate or until I'm sorry, awakening with like when the characters had the ability to pair up and then tell these individual kind of like social bond persona esque storylines. And I didn't know that was a thing. Like I I knew there was a story to them. But I didn't know that they were even then connected like that, that there were social links and relationships going on. Yeah, totally. And like, that's one of my favorite parts of the game is watching the character relationships grow and like watching the characters interact with each other. Um, in some of the past games, you could like get them up to like an S rank with each other. It's like a, I think it's called support rank in this game. Okay. It's not social uh, links because that's Persona. But <laughs> yeah, but. Um, like you can get them up to S rank and then they would like get married. And then in one of the games, there's this weird like mechanic where if they get married, suddenly like you get this side mission that if you go do it, you'll meet their child from the future who's traveled to the past to help you out with your fight. It's like 
such an odd conceit, but it makes for an interesting huh. game. Um, they don't have any of that this time. Like the main character, the character that you are, you can pair off with somebody once you get towards the end of the game from what I've heard. But for the most part, um, you're just working on like getting the relationships up with one another, not in necessarily a romantic context, but just in like, you know, friendship and like social bonds, that type of thing. Right. Okay. Because I, like I said, I thought it was just a normal story. Like I thought this was an all new thing that had been released for, or that had been created for, for three houses. I didn't realize that it was really an iteration of something they had done before. Yeah. I'm pretty ignorant of Fire Emblem though. Like well, this okay. is me learning all about it. Everything I know has been from playing heroes a little bit, which is next to nothing, and learning from you as you talk about it on here. Yeah, so this is like totally just the natural evolution from Fire Emblem Awakening to Fire Emblem Fates and then to Three Houses. Like there's a direct lineage there in the way that the gameplay systems have evolved, even though like the stories and the characters are completely separate from one another. Um, And over time, they've given more and more effort to those relationships and that social link building type of stuff. And and I love it. Like, I mean, I've talked about how much I love that in Persona. I love it in this game, too. Right. That's awesome. I yeah. Yeah. So the premise of this one in particular, again, they're all standalone. You don't need any of the other ones. But there's three countries on this one continent in the world. And I'm not going to remember them right off the top of my head. I think it's like the Kingdom of Fargus. There's the Lystra Alliance. And then there's the Something Empire. Like, I honestly, they don't really matter as much at the beginning as the houses. So each one of those um, factions, one of those nations, corresponds to one of the houses in the game that you end up aligning with. So there's this monastery. So those are like the three nations on this continent. There's a monastery in roughly the middle of the continent that's neutral ground, and it's the head of the church, but it's also like um, a neutral ground that officers and like nobles and well commoners too but anyone who's training to be an officer can go to this place for school and it's like an officer training center and this game takes place in a year where three of the future leaders of all of those nations all happen to be there at the same time and because of that they are just kind of like auto defaulted to be the leader of their house that's corresponding to their nation in the school so it's kind of harry potterish right like where you right. have your house but it's much more about like what nation did you come from and a lot less about like your aptitude for things because of that like you kind of dive in right away and start to meet the leaders and then you really quickly have to make some decisions about like what house you're going to choose so the leaders are edelgard for the empire there's dimitri for the kingdom of whatever it is Uh, again like i said i don't remember like the nation names because the house names matter more um and then there's claude who's part of like he's the grandson of one of the nobles in like the alliance so like edelgard (laughs) she's like the princess she's the next in line to the throne for the empire um dimitri is a prince he's like going to be king someday so basically they're all going to be prominent figures in their nation um but they all just happen to be the same age and they're at the same training place at the same time so you as the main character you end up there kind of by accident but because of the way you stumble into it and because of some like pre-existing relationships with like your father um they make you a professor because they need a professor and you're qualified or you're qualified enough even if you're not like super qualified <laughs> and that's honestly like how it goes and they're like we it's need like another. when i got my job <laughs> yeah so they need another professor because like they need somebody else to take charge of one of the houses and they basically just say you get to pick so very very quickly like i think it's mission two 
like before you oh. even play the second mission, one of the main things you do is you it's like, go talk to the students, get to know them a little bit. So you do that. And I, you know, being the person I am, and I know it's about like social bonds and stuff. I literally talk to everybody that I could possibly talk to. And then you talk to the leaders of each house and they kind of give you this like very basic rundown of like, here are all the people in the house and here are their strengths and their weaknesses and like what they're good at and their attributes. Um, and so you scan through that. And from that, plus like the opening cutscene, plus like the one, one and a half missions that you've done, they just say, okay, pick a house. Like it's, it's like right at the beginning of the game. And, and what I'm I- assuming that when they do this, you can't go back. That once you make this choice, it's permanent. Like there's no, there's no respecking to a different house or anything later on, right? Nope. Nope, this is just the house that you're with forever until you okay. restart the game, basically. And I think there are new game plus in here and stuff, so you can carry some things over to your next playthrough if you want to. Um, but yeah, you're going to be with this house for a long time, essentially. So that is like probably the hardest choice that I had to make in the game was just like sitting there just thinking about like, OK, well, who am I going to be with for the next whatever 30 hours 40 hours some people are saying 80 i've seen the number be all over there like you know it can be anywhere from like 20 ish to 80 ish depending on how you play and how fast you play and how fast you read and all that kind of thing but and i really hope that it's like not 80 like like usually i want a really long rpg but when you say that you've heard people say like 20 to 30 which i haven't seen which i and i i totally trust and believe you like that makes me more interested in it because that means i could get through all three campaigns in the time that i would want to as opposed to being able to only get through one and then really burning out because 80 hours is a long time on a game well, I have heard that later in the game, there are some paths that you can take that kind of like end earlier than other ones. So I wonder if that's playing a part. Like some of these oh, houses could. might not have as many chapters as other houses, so it could encourage you to like replay. But if the first house that you pick is the one that has the longest set of content behind it, it might just take you longer. Like I think okay. I think that's part of what's going on because most reviewers by this point have only played through like one of the storylines that makes sense and i know that i think it was data error and 13th story on discord talking about it as being the like getting the the quote-unquote bad ending that kind of thing would be easier to get and to get the good ending you have to do it differently yeah yep so you have to pick a house um the houses correspond to all those nations so the blue lions are part of like that kingdom where the guy's gonna you know the prince is gonna become the king at some day someday um the golden deer is like part of the alliance so the lester alliance that it's it's like an alliance of nobles it's like a ruling class so it's still nobody believes in democracy here i think is the key thing (laughs) right and because the last one's an empire like it's just it's an empire like you know they're very much not democratic um so i picked the empire because i just i like okay i like the leader the best honestly and then i looked at all the characters and i there were a couple characters um that was it wasn't the leader so like there's a leader plus eight other characters or maybe it's a leader plus seven um for each house and there were a couple interesting characters in this house on top of me really liking the leader and i was like okay i'm gonna play through this one first but i could definitely see myself coming around and trying the other ones depending on how i feel when i beat the game right and i would make the same choice you did that uh, i've been looking at which one i want to play because i knew that it was a big decision so if i was going to do this i was going to do it right so i and i also hate making bad decisions in games like that where i have to restart so i think that if i played i would go with 
with the Black Eagles myself because Edelgard seems much cooler than the others. And I like the idea of being on the Empire side as opposed to an alliance of nobles because I tend to hate aristocracy in games like this. They really get on my nerves usually. Well, a lot of the characters are nobles, like regardless of which place right, they come right. from. Yeah, but I, I went with Edelgard and the Black Eagles, and I'm liking it a lot, so I'm glad that I picked that one. Um, outside of that big choice right up front, one of the biggest changes from past Fire Emblem games, so for you it's not going to matter as much because you haven't played them, but there's no weapon triangle. So it used to be um, sword, lance, and axe, and it was kind of basically like rock, paper, scissors type of thing. There mm -hmm. was one that it was strong against, one that it was weak against. And that's the biggest change if you're used to Fire Emblem, so I had to mentally adjust for the first couple hours. But after that, it's kind of nice because it means that like any individual character has a bunch of unique quirks to them, but they're not instantly going to get destroyed by something just because of the weapon that they're holding, which I appreciate. That's something that took a while for me to get used to on Fire Emblem Heroes. Yeah, all the names are actually starting to get messed up in my head now. It's Heroes that's on mobile. I know. And I know in past episodes, I've said the wrong Fire Emblem because they all just get like inflated in my mind. And I understand any game like this that has this many titles ends up doing it uh, in my head. And without having played them, it's all just kind of this one amalgus, um, just blob of fire emblem and i the ones that i remember it took a while to get used to that in the mobile like yeah. the the triangle it that was not something strategy games had that had used that i had played a lot of in the past yeah so this one is kind of it, it goes completely away from that basically so you very quickly adjust and then one of the cool things is like um you know, your characters, if they have the skill for the weapon, they can basically wield any weapon at any time as long as it's in their inventory, which is pretty sweet. That's not okay. exactly how it worked before. Um, so it means your characters are more uh, diverse and like have more ability to be adaptive in the middle of a battle compared to other Fire Emblem games. So I thought that was pretty cool. And then once you actually get into a battle, there's a ton of quality li of life improvements. So again, if you haven't played past Fire Emblem, it's not going to matter a ton. But if you have, there's things like it's a lot more clear about which enemies will attack your characters before you commit to it. So if you like click on one of your guys and you say, I'm going to you know, move him here before you actually have to commit to that move, it'll show you like what the enemies will do next turn, like who is going to come and attack them based on all the positioning on the board at that exact moment. So oh. because of stuff like that, it's it doesn't tell you exactly who will win. It doesn't tell you how much damage they're going to take, but it does show you like, OK, these guys are going to aggro this guy and go that direction. And that means that it's a lot easier to make sure your characters don't end up somewhere that they'll get killed instantly just because you misjudge distance by like one square on a grid, which I've done so many times in Fire Emblem games. So it's a yeah, huge improvement. strategy game thing. Like that's huge. Yeah, I love it. And then like battle forecasts are a little bit more clear than they used to be, but they still leave room for variance with like, you know, chance to hit and chance to crit stuff like that, where you're never going to know until you try it, which is great because it's not completely predetermined. Um, and then they have this new thing that your character has the ability called divine pulse and it lets you rewind time. So it's limited. You can only do it a few times per battle, but honestly, I've never needed it more than once in a battle. Um, and you can re rewind time to any point in the battle. 
battle, which is huge because most of the time when I've used it, I've only used it a few times, but if I use it, I use it to rewind like one turn because I realized, oh, this one character is probably mispositioned. I just need to move slightly differently or have like an approach that was different last turn. But there's always the chance that you get into a situation where you realize that you made a mistake three turns ago or five turns ago or 10 turns ago and you don't want to replay the entire battle. Divine Pulse will let you like rewind extremely granularly to like anybody's like turn within a round and however many turns backwards you want to go it's amazing that's crazy that like and it's big i don't even know how to put this like you have charges of the ability not so much numbers of turns in a battle that you can do so you can move 10 turns back three times as opposed to having to divide 10 turns up across however many times you want to use it until you're out of those 10 right Yes, exactly. So you can just, you know, however many charges of it you have, that's how many times you can use it within one battle. But you can, one charge will go back infinite distance as much as you want to. Okay, that's awesome. Yeah, it's it's really, really cool. So like I said, quality of life improvements. Besides that, everything else in the battles is close to the same. I mean, there's like intricate things that are different that if you're into Fire Emblem, there we're talking about, and I probably will a little bit here and there. But those are the like the big things. Um, outside of that, I also wanted to talk about like characters are a lot more customizable than they were in past games. So usually you have a character and it kind of has this set path of like what classes it's going to go to or like a branching tree of classes. It's like, okay, this was their starter class. They can only go down this tree, right? In this game, classes and skills, um, like battalions, training focuses, there's all of these things you can do to a character that you can take somebody who's like innately a magic user. And if you wanted to, you could make them like a heavy armor specialist or like push them into being like a wyvern rider or something, right? Like you can huh. steer the students any way you want because you're their professor and you have that ability, basically. Like you are training them up however you want to train them. And the class system in the game is all about taking these exams based on the skills that a character has plus taking their level into consideration. So for an example, the beginner classes, you have to be at least level five. So if you're just starting out, your characters are all either a noble or a commoner and that's it. Like, it's just a catch-all. As soon as you hit level five, then you can try to take these exams. And the exams will be like, okay, are you level five? That's, you know, the basic qualification to get to the beginner level classes. And then after that, maybe it's like you have to have a D rank in a sword or an axe to take the exam for this class. Or you need to have a D rank in, like, a bow or magic or whatever it happens to be, right? So you have to get to a certain level with the weapons. Um, and then the intermediate classes, you'll need to be, like, level 10 and maybe have a C rank in a relevant skill or weapon or writing ability or something like that and it just goes like that up and up so if you have taken the time to train a character on a specific skill you'll be able to like mold them into any class you want in the game and that just opens up the progression and the class system in a way that it's never really been opened before in fire emblem yeah that sounds really really neat being able to do that a little bit overwhelming in terms of how because you're controlling an entire army of of characters generally but it's uh very very nice to be able to do that because one of the things that tends to happen in strategy games for me is that i like one type of character more than others and always wish i had another character who could do x y or z and I'm limited to like the one that I can recruit through the story. So that sounds really awesome. So the one thing that I found really approachable about it that I was surprised about is that in past Fire Emblem games by like I'm like nine or 10 hours in, I would have had 15 or 20 characters by now. 
And I would be trying to figure out like, oh, what's my balance here? Who do I want to pair with who? Like which one is going to end up in an advanced class that I really want them to be? And so far in this game, I only have eight characters to worry about because I'm only worried about my own house. And that really like compacts the possibility space down. I thought it would be limiting, but I didn't realize how open this class system would be. So in a way, it's really freeing because I only have eight characters to think about like how I want to make them advance. I don't have 20 different ones that I'm going to get like locked down in all of the details for. I like that. That's what my next question was going to be is how many characters do you have to deal with? So that's that's really nice. So, yeah, it's like it's about. And again, I'm forgetting if the leader counts towards the eight, but it's like eight right. per house. And then after that, you also have, and this is one of the areas where I've just scratched the surface, but if you do certain things, you can actually recruit characters from other houses to become part of yours permanently for the rest of the game. So you can increase the amount of students that you have over time, but you either have to be like high enough um, skilled in the skills that they care about, or you have to have like a high enough uh, relationship level with them or one of a couple other things. And I'm just not far enough in the game yet to do that. But over time, you can basically acquire more people to your house that's really neat being able to recruit them from the other houses as opposed to a from a neutral pool of characters yeah and they're just super customizable because like i said you're their professor and you like give them an area to focus on so if you give them a focus area you pick two abilities in the game and every week when you do like there's like a a span of five days it just kind of like auto plays through classes and you just see them like level up and so it's whatever you want to auto level up during those like five days of the week um you pick those and the character will just work on those and they'll just keep Hmm. going up every single week so you get to pick those which is cool but there's this also a part that's just individual instruction where you manually go in and you pick a student and you pick like abilities that you are going to train them in one-on-one and that becomes interesting because it's this balance between like what do you want them to level up but also they get a bonus they get a boost they'll learn it faster if they have an innate ability for it and then also you'll get a boost to train them faster if you are more skilled than they are in it so if you've been training in those things ahead of them and between those two it's like okay like my character right now hasn't really done anything with magic so if i'm training a magic user i'm not really giving them a boost from my professor but they might have an innate ability to do magic that they're getting a boost from so you could get like you know 1.25 experience or 2x experience or whatever so that's something to consider too right like if you want to you absolutely can shove them into a different class but there's a balance to be had with what they're naturally skilled at so with the character that you're playing being a professor you are still working them as a character for the battlefield too right yes that Okay, because I wasn't sure if they were a really as an academic being stuck in the ivory tower in the monastery there uh, while your students went out and were part of the battle. But the professor is a character all the way through that that's not just limited to the social part of it. Yeah, exactly. So like you're actually on the battlefield. You're basically just the commander, you know, like you're the tactical whatever who's calling all the shots, which is how you have control over all of them in a battle. But yeah, you're on the battlefield also. Yeah, it's cool. And then the other thing you can do to level them up are these like group projects where you can pair up two students together and have them focus on a few of the things that are actually like a lot harder to level up other ways. So like flying skill or heavy armor or like riding, just things Uh... that if you only have the very beginning classes, it's really hard to like 
get experience in those. So they built out this whole other system to do that. And it'll also make the support level of those two characters go up with each other, which is pretty cool too. That is really cool. Like when you say flying, does that mean like wyvern riding and things like that or something else? Yep. No, there are wyverns you can ride and there are pegasuses. Pegasi? Awesome. Pegasi that you can ride. Um, I'm going to go with Pegasi because I like it. And yeah, yeah. It's just cool that they gave a way to level those up too. So like all of that is kind of part of the the game structure and like the school part of the game. Um, there's so much like persona DNA in here because it's so reliant on a calendar, which I didn't know if I was going to like or not, but I guess it's not surprising that I like it after how much I enjoyed persona. Basically the structure is broken down into like if we go monthly, weekly and daily, right? So monthly there's one main mission every single month. And it's usually towards the end of the month. It's not always on the exact last day, but it's sometime towards the end of the month so far in what I've played. And you know that that's coming up. So you have like a whole month to prepare. So on a weekly basis, it'll start the week and it'll let you do the lesson planning, which is what we were just talking about. Like all of those things that you can pick, which way the character is going to advance, who's going to group up for a project. Who am I going to instruct individually? And then once you have that set, you just hit the button and it'll just like go through the week and kind of tell you how it worked out. Um, Outside of that, you get one day each week where you completely pick what to do. And so the main things that I've unlocked so far, and from what I understand, these are like the core things in the game. Um, You can do explore, you can do a seminar, you can do a battle, or you can rest. So rest will just make everybody's motivation go up, which means that they're going to learn better the next week. So there's that balance to be had. Like you have to keep their motivation high enough that they'll keep learning these skills. But um, battle is like if you just want to grind and just get some more levels, get some more experience that way, you can go into battle and there's a lower level battle that you can just repeat like infinitely. So you can just grind Hmm. on it. And then there's one that's higher level that if you go and you beat that, it'll like wrap up the battle session for the day. So, so it'll use a calendar day to do that. Um, Seminar is you get to pick from all of the other teachers that exist in the game, all of the other instructors and have one of them give a seminar on a topic. So you get to attend and your skills will go up too. But then all of your students that are actually interested in it will show up and their skills will go up. Um, And then the thing that is honestly like the most persona-like and one of the funnest parts is explore. So if you explore, um, well, I should just say it, like that's weekly and then daily. Um, You can also just kind of random events show up, you know, even in those like five days that autoplay, sometimes you'll just hit a random event because that's the way the calendar goes. But um, explore mode on the weekly level, that's where a lot of the interesting stuff comes in. You can wander around the monastery, you can like talk to everybody, you find lost items and you can return items, you'll like get gifts and you can give people gifts. There are these mystery letters that you can find. It's, It's the open world, it's not open world, but it's the exploration part where you're wandering around the monastery and doing a bunch of things right and this is where you get the most one-on-one time with characters to like raise up your support level so this is where you can have tea with students which like i said feels very (laughs) inappropriate to me to just single out a student and be like would you like to have tea with me privately it's kind of weird but okay so it's not a group of students like you were doing one-on-one tea with a student yeah yeah Yeah, that's weird yeah because I, I was know. thinking it was like the uh, the Slughorn dinner parties in Harry Potter, where it's like, oh, let's get together for tea. And yes, all, all of our uh, English listeners are hating me right now. But, yeah. And so I'm very sorry. But uh, that's what I was thinking of, like Slughorn, those big parties, not one-on-one. So they do have things that are kind of like that. It's not a big party, but it'll be you plus two characters in like a public place. So 
there's um you can cook together which that's a one-on-one but again it's like in a kitchen there's a bunch of other people around um you can have a meal so if you choose to have a meal with students you pick two students and you have like a little group session for it and all of your relationship levels go up there's choir practice which is like the same idea but it's like in you know the church in the game like the whatever the religion is in the game i don't even know yet um and then there one of the other things you can do is like tournaments like you can pick a student and then like enter them into a tournament and be there to encourage them so there's all these activities that you can do to like bump up your relationship levels essentially that sounds very complicated in terms of getting it down to do right it like if you wanted to do it perfectly maybe but it feels like there's so much leeway built in here that there's no real wrong way to do it. As long as you're okay. using all of your points in a day and actually spending them, then you'll be fine. Okay, so it's like if whenever you're in Persona and Morgan tells you, he's like, are you sure you want to go back home right now? And uh, it's like, no, I'll go do this. Yeah, so. exactly. So a lot of okay. it is just kind of what you would think of as like a JRPG like city, like, you know, wandering around, interacting with the NPCs, seeing what's new, you know, maybe doing some activities that don't take up any of your like time points and then picking a few each time you explore to be like, okay, I have like three points because my professor level isn't very high yet. Maybe I'll do a meal with a couple people and then I'll go do like some instruction one-on-one with like a trainer type of thing. And then your day is done. So it's not that you have to do everything all the time. It's just that like persona, it opens up to the point where you have all the ability to choose all of these different approaches. And it opened up pretty quickly for you, right? Like you don't have to gate it nearly as much as persona does in the beginning. Do you? No, no, it opens up very quickly. Like, you know, you do one or two real battles and then you basically have the whole monastery unlocked and you can kind of do anything at that point. So they're still adding little bits and pieces, but it's not like Persona that holds back the core chunk of the game for such a long time. That doesn't happen here. You get into it really quick. Okay, that was really one of the things that I was wondering about, like with as as in-depth as this is, if they were waiting that long, it could be very, very hard to invest in something as a new series like that. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And I feel I think I'm only on chapter four or five. So like each month is essentially a chapter. I'm not super far into the school year yet. And it feels like I've done so many different things already and like I'm so deep into it. So yeah, things have been going quick in a really good way. That That's great. This is really making me think that I am going to pick this up. It's a great game. Like I like it. I, I really like it. There's things I barely scratched the surface of, but I wanted to like kind of cover these initial impressions as a main topic because I know I'm going to come back to this next week and probably the week after and the week after because I'm going to be playing it for a while. So things that I want to understand better, better are like battalions, which you can equip kind of like you can equip swords and armor and stuff, except it's people like it's lower level soldiers that you equip to you and you can attack with them and do abilities with them. Um, there's blacksmithing that I haven't even unlocked yet. There are these relics in the game that behave differently than other weapons that I just got one, but I don't know how they really work. Um, There's a time jump, which is not really a spoiler because it's been in all sorts of pre-release media. But basically, (laughs) you have these characters in whatever house you chose 
And after like a calendar year or a year and a half or whatever it is, you jump ahead five years and then suddenly like they are in the positions or they're getting close to the positions that they're going to be in where they actually are rulers or kings or queens or whatever. And I'm excited for that point because that's where the story really diverges. Like they said that in the first half of the game, when you're in the school, in the monastery with all the houses and you interact with kind of all the classes, um, you know, you get different one-on-one dialogue with people. You get different ability to, like, gain character levels and interact with different students because you're in a different house. But the main story is pretty much the same for the first half. It's after that time jump where every story completely diverges from every other one. And then if you want to see the whole game, you would have to play through every house because of that time jump. Okay, that makes sense. All right. Yeah. So that's cool. I'm excited for it. Like I said, I'm not there yet. Um, and then there's other things that, like, I can see that I'm probably getting close to, but I'm not there. So recruiting non-house characters, you know, like if you have the stats or the support level or whatever it is, I still have to figure that out. There are the advanced classes because I'm only in the intermediate ones. I haven't actually gotten to the super specialized advanced ones yet. And I don't really have any of the relationships, the one-on-one relationships above a C level yet. So I haven't seen everything they have to offer. And that usually ends up being one of my favorite parts of these games. Just like in Persona, I like all the social links. Like I like that in these games a lot. So all of that, there are things to explore, and I feel like I've barely done anything with the main story except that I'm now a professor in charge of a house. Like, there haven't really been big political things that have happened yet, and I'm sure they will because that's usually what happens in Fire Emblem. In terms of things that usually happen in Fire Emblem, there is a casual and a classic mode in this one too, right? I know you've yes. mentioned before that Fire Emblem has has permadeath for different characters, and you can choose to play it in that or have your characters revive at the end of battle, I guess? Yep. Yeah, it's the same way. So um, casual versus classic is one setting and it's completely separated from the actual difficulty level which is i love i love that they've done that so you could pick normal mode but you could also do classic where you have permadeath or you could pick like hard mode and you could do casual where characters revive at the end of battle so you can customize you know the actual difficulty with how you want like permadeath handled or reviving handled after a battle and you can mix and match to whatever you want it to be what did you choose I went with normal and I went with casual because okay. I like pushing through the games and like I have fun with the strategy, but I don't need like crazy hard strategy right away. I just want to play through it and have fun. Okay. And you can do that. Like you said, there's new game plus and stuff like that. So that if you do decide that you want to go through it with the uh, ultra hardcore kind of like hard mode classic, you can. Yes, absolutely. And they said they're going to patch in. There's usually like a lunatic mode in Fire Emblem games. It's not in this game yet, but they said that it's coming in a patch very soon. So there are going to be three difficulty levels at some point. Okay, and I was about to say, I will will ask, I guess, that lunatic mode is the ultra hard, I guess, the the crazy person one, that you had to be a crazy person to play it. Okay. I was like, I have one question about this permadeath thing. Since you're playing characters that are the leaders of their houses, well, countries, I guess, if you play on classic mode and say Edelgard dies or Claude dies, what happens? I don't know. I'm guessing if your house leader dies, it might just end the game game but usually the way it's handled in past fire emblem games is the character if it's a main story character and maybe this is handled the same way in this game is that if they're core to the main story they don't like die die they just get like hurt to the point where they can no longer have a battle ever so they're always taken out of the gameplay but they still exist for story purposes oh Um, whereas if it's not a character part of the main story they'll just straight up die and you never hear from them again 
that's kind of okay. the balance that they struck in the past games that I played. But I like characters so much, and I'm so in it for the characters that I never wanted any of them to die. So I've just played all of the games on casual ever since I've gotten into this series. That That's what I expected myself to do is play on casual. But I was really interested, like the idea of classic, if you kill a main character like how did they program this like how in the world does a story-based game go forward but having them be permanently injured and removed from the battlefield makes perfect sense yeah and there are a couple characters in the other games that i have tried when i did like after i beat a game and then i flipped it over to classic mode to just see that kind of thing you know test it out where if your character your player character died or if like the one of the main characters dies the game just ends so there's a couple Uh, that would be like an instant lose condition and that's not the case in casual so if your main characters die in casual mode you can still continue out the battle right yeah you just finish out the battle and then they you know they're better they're fine they'll be ready for the next one it's okay don't worry about it That's one of those things that drives me nuts in Persona 5, and I don't know actually if it happens in the other games, but I'm assuming it does, is that when Joker dies, the game is over. That I don't have time to revive him, I can't do anything, that if he hits zero, then the game is over immediately. And I'm like, but that's dumb. Yeah. I have three other people here who can heal him. He just got hit with an instant death. This is stupid. And that's why I put it on easy mode or normal or whatever it's on now. That's not what I had it on before. But the uh, I was wondering about that in casual versus classic, too, if you finish out the battle, at least. Yeah. And again, I don't so know good. super how well it works with classic just because I haven't done it a whole lot, but they find some ways around it. So it's not always instant losing or instant death. Awesome. Yeah. Like that sounds, I'm definitely going to be a normal casual player then. That's totally what I am. And I love the game that way. So there's nothing wrong with that. But like I said, yeah, I like this game a lot already. I'm only nine or 10 hours into it. And I feel like in some ways, like I get what it has to offer, but in some ways I barely scratch the surface. So I still, I wouldn't be surprised if this ends up as one of my top games of the year from what I've seen already. This is totally my kind of game in so many different ways that I'm already just loving it. So one of the things that I saw at the, when they first announced this, I don't even know what direct it was or which particular conference they announced it initially. When I first saw the very first gameplay of this, it looked like you were controlling multiple units at a time. Like rather than moving individual units across the battlefield in a grid, it looked like there was somehow like battalions of some kind or legions where you were moving large groups of characters in a way. Did I completely misinterpret that video or is that now a part of the game where you're dealing with clusters of characters instead of individuals so they're in the game and i've used them a little bit but i need to understand the system better essentially battalions work the same way a sword does which is not the way you would intuit it where you can equip it to a character so like a character has equipment slots for like you can equip a sword and maybe a shield you usually don't do a ton of armor stuff in fire emblem but maybe a shield maybe if you're feeling like it so like they have a sword equipped and then you can also equip a battalion so a battalion can be it could be like a group of healers or it could be a group of mercenaries or a group of knights or something right so it's like a class of characters and it it represents a whole battalion of characters that are attached to that one as a leader so they're kind of like nameless faceless like mass of people um and then you'll attach them to your named character 
it's okay. it's kind of a, a weird system because you're not actually selecting a huge group of units. You're still just selecting. So if it's Edelgard, right? Like you're still just selecting Edelgard. But then when she runs up to an enemy, you could attack it with a sword or you could attack it with your battalion. Like it's just another weapon type, another thing that you can do with the character. Okay. So like if you have the healers there, instead of attacking, you would be able to move out of the way and then heal with your clerics or something is your yeah. action. Exactly. There's one that I have right now on one of my, I ha- I think I have it on my healer and it's like um, a support ability that it will boost the movement speed of everybody around you. So, you know, if I don't have anyone to heal on that particular turn, I'll just put that healer right in the middle of a bunch of other characters and I'll use their battalion instead and it'll boost everyone's movement and then everybody else around them can move super far. So there's that kind okay. of thing going on too. All right, because that's been actually making me really curious since I saw that very first video, because it looked so different from what I understood Fire Emblem to be. And I didn't, I had no clue on how they were going to do it. So thank you. I'm way, that makes way more sense than anything that I thought about. (laughs) Yeah, I wasn't sure either, but that's another one that I am going to dig deeper. And like I said, I have all of these like subsets now, now that we've laid out, here's the basics of the game. And I really like it. I feel like I can dive in deep in geekery for the next few weeks or month, like here and there, and just kind of like explore different subsets of the game and report back on those. So I fully intend to do that. And so I'm curious about the time jump, too, that if you know anything about this, where um, you explore, I'm assuming, all three of the houses in the monastery during the first half until that first year is done. And then during the second half, are they each going to have their own unique locations or are they still going to be running around like the same cities and uh, battlefields and things like that? Do you know? So I don't know because I I know the time jump exists. I know it radically changes things, but I've managed to avoid spoilers on it. So I'm just going to wait until it happens to me and then see what happens. Okay, that's fair. I I was just curious. I was thinking about how replaying it could get tedious. But if the back half of every house has a completely different location, it really would feel like a completely different experience and different game. I wouldn't be surprised at all if that's the case. So we'll see. But like it'll probably be a week or two before I hit that point. And by then, anyone who cares super like extremely about spoilers will probably be at that same point so i won't feel bad talking about it then i do think i'm buying this game though good i hey that's awesome that after us talking about this i'm gonna probably grab it digitally instead of uh, physically because something i've noticed lately in playing the physical games and i love having them i love looking at them on my shelf is that sometimes i want to be able to keep a lot more with me or something and just kind of log out of one and start up another without having to go find the particular cartridge uh, like in the other room or something like that or get find where I've put the case whatever so I think I'm gonna get this one digitally because I'm going to be flying to podcast movement in probably two weeks I think in Orlando so I'm gonna have a lot of downtime like during travel and then I'm going to um oh like have some nights and stuff like that and then i'm going to be staying at austin's for a couple of uh, nights before flying back where he has it so if there's any kind of multiplayer i could do that like it just seems like i was mentioning to you either before we went on air or maybe it was after we started recording that i was looking for an august game that this one really sounds like it might be the kind of thing especially given my travel that uh, might be a very good game to pick up both as a main game and a side game 
Oh yeah, this would be a fantastic travel game. I I would highly encourage you to get it since you have travel coming up. All right. Yeah, I think I'm going to get it digitally as much as I would like to get my $10 Walmart discount on it. I've got a uh, probably a $35 PayPal payment coming in soon and uh, that's going to significantly uh, absorb the price on this one. <laughs> Sweet. Um so before we get into weekly geekery and I know we're going to kind of cut it short this week because you have some other stuff you got to get out of here for um but quick geeky offer of the week so this week i want to remind you guys about podcoin it's one of our new favorite podcast apps you go download it off of the app store and you will get podcoins to be able to trade in for gift cards and or donate to charity as you listen to podcasts. So the more time you spend listening to podcasts, the more money you earn. It's not a scam, I promise. So you can go to, I think, podcoinapp.com. That's what they are on Twitter. And uh, you can download it and use the term, well, use the code GEEK, and you'll get 300 extra pod coins. It's really fantastic, and we use it. So let us know how you like it, guys. Sweet. Uh, around the network this week, Geekitude with Joe and Ray. They did an interview. They're getting back to interview podcasts um, where they interviewed the creators of the sequels, which is a comic. And they talked to Norm Harper and Val Halverson. Um, that was really interesting to listen to. Tea time with Katie and Chelsea. Katie actually went to Comic-Con. So for this week's episode, Chelsea did an episode with her husband where they talked all about The Office, which was interesting. Um and sometimes, Rob, I think there's an episode coming out in early August, so stay tuned for that. Capsule J streaming Tuesdays from 8 to 11 p.m. Eastern and sometimes Thursdays and weekends. And then Troidal is streaming on Thursdays, sometimes after dinner. Um, what was going on around the geekery for writing this week? So the Geekery is where we have our original blog content that you can find at geek2geekmedia.com slash geekery. And Austin's Dragon Quest Quest was covering DQ8, which is most people's introduction to the Dragon Quest series. So that one's neat. And then the 13th story was talking about builder games in general, Mario Maker, Minecraft, the Dragon Quest builders, things like that, and uh, how their effect on everything as a genre. Like, it's really neat. Like, we don't even have a genre name for it, technically, which which is uh, really cool when you think about it. And if you wouldn't mind, go to geekdeekmedia.com slash subscribe and join our email list. Find out about all this cool stuff and you can stop listening to us talk about it every week, even though we're going to still talk about it every week. <laughs> um, for Geekery this week, I, I don't have much because it was mostly Fire Emblem. I just wanted to really quickly hit on one game because I think you might like it, especially because you're traveling soon. I want you to check it out right. and just tell me if you like it. So it's this game called Sky. It's out right. on iOS, and it is basically a spiritual successor to Journey, but it's on smartphones instead of on console. And I know how much you love Journey, and I really like Journey too. Um, this is like Journey, except a lot more directionless. So I kind of bounced off of it already, but knowing how much you love that game, I wanted to bring it up because I really want you to try this and tell me what you think. I'm really curious on how much I would like it, but I'm really trying to get Jennifer to download it. Like she likes Journey even more than I do. Journey is like her favorite video game. And so I've been trying to get her to download this, but she doesn't have enough room on her phone and she would have to delete a bunch of videos. And so she hasn't done it yet. And it's only on iOS right now, as far as I know. I don't even think there's an Android version, is there? I am not sure. I don't know, but I know it's it's mobile only at the very least. And so I haven't played this one yet, but it's beautiful that this one and it's done by the same developers when when he says spiritual successor like it is literally the spiritual successor to journey so i look forward to this like i need to download that and play it 
I really want to hear what you think once you get around to it, basically. Yeah, because it, it being mobile is one that I'm not sure how it'll be. But also, if it's completely directionless, that might keep me from liking it because it's on mobile. That's kind of how I felt, but I wonder if you're going to feel different. So yeah. that's the only thing I really did outside of Fire Emblem. I played a lot of Fire Emblem, and I had fun with it, obviously. I just talked about it for a while. Um, what else did you do this week? So Jennifer and I finally played co-op in Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3, and I didn't have any camera issues in co-op. Like everybody, literally every person I've heard talk about co-op has complained about camera issues, and I didn't really have any. The only camera issue that I had was that if one person ran further up, they got stuck because the uh, somebody hadn't moved far enough up yet, may have been at the back of the screen still. And that was the only issue I ever had. And I mean, other than not being able to see what's going on in big battles, but that was the case when I was playing alone too. Um, it might've been because I already had the camera on heroic and that's just the way that the camera worked in co-op at that point. I don't know, but I didn't have that same issue that other people had. Like huh. I never fought with it. I never had it change at all really from what i was used to in the main game in the single player game to when we were playing it together that's weird so, yeah i had nothing but problems with it so i'm glad that it worked better for you though that's great yeah i mean i'm really really happy with it like we had a good time we basically restarted the game jennifer likes it but it's kind of a small burst game for her like she loves the smashy smashy but since there's not a lot more to it than that since it's a beat-em-up we will play it in small bursts as we get through the story and beat it and everything and level up the characters and all that yeah it's fun um, to play it that way though yeah it's really fun i mean that's really what i got it for it's not something I figured I would spend 40 hours on just staring at, uh, but it's something I pick up when I want to uh, beat people up as Spider-Man or something. And uh, speaking of things I've spent lots of hours on staring at, um, I finally beat Dragon Quest Builders 2. It's one of the few games recently that I've actually beaten and saw the credits on and continue to play after the credits and doing the post game. Wow, that's this super game, rare is great yeah it's super rare for me to do so that's high praise from me anyway and uh, to go on into the post game of a builder game on top of that is just i insanely love this game like it took me about 55 hours to beat the main story though like it's nuts how long this is and i did not expect it to be that long i expected the campaign to be maybe 20 hours 25 but it took me 55 hours to get to the credits. This game is long, and honestly, it's too long. It's about an island too long. The, the, everything is broken up into different islands, and it's one island too long. And the third one that you get to is the longest, and it's the worst. Like, it's not fun at a lot of this at a lot of places in this part it's long there's too much combat which and i like the combat in this game but it's simple i mean you're running around pressing a button smashing things is all it is generally and so there's just too much of it here the environment is like bleak war-torn snow where it's just not fun to look at the area is not fun to explore because there are few there aren't nearly as many secrets to find and the characters in that zone are all just eh. and like they're not really interesting or fun like some of the other ones they don't really have the personality that they did on the other islands these are just we're soldiers 
in this never-ending battle. Like, that's their entire personality. And so it just drags, and it takes an amazing game down a notch. Like, it really does. I powered through it. I beat it. The area after that is so much better. And now I'm moving into the post-game, where there's still stuff to unlock. There's still stuff. There's still islands and areas to unlock. There is still uh, story to be had, and... um stuff and like weapons and stuff to make different things like that and there's tons of co-op stuff i haven't done i've not even tried the co-op stuff yet uh like with austin like i've wanted to and i've had to convince him to keep playing because the third island is so bad like one thing i've noticed is like between you me and austin there are so many things that we find similar about video games and so many things that one of us just simply will not abide by. <laughs> that if <laughs> okay. something where there are so many things in certain games where it will just make one of us throw our hands up, be like, I'm done. I'm done with this and never going back. And another one of us will be like, yeah, that was fine. I didn't care about that at all. I'm going to keep going. I like this game. That's the way the third island is for me. It's like, I don't like this this part of the game, but I like the game enough. I'm going to keep going. And for the last like day and a half, I've been getting text messages from Austin saying, I'm done with this game. I hate it. This is not fun. Is this going to end? So I'm like, yes, I, you keep going here and, and it's, it gets better. And I get, a and he's like, no, it didn't get any better. You lied to me. That was the worst thing I've ever done in this game. And uh, just like different things that I didn't even mind or actually liked. And it's the same way when you and I talk about games, it's like, but I like it. I hated that part, but the rest of the game was way better. Um, and I'm still waiting now that I'm finished. I'm what my goal is, is to reconstruct all of my Ultima online houses. Like that's my goal is to make like my big tower that I had my uh, my log cabin that I PVP'd out of for so long. I'm going to make my uh, and I know this is super nerdy. I'm going to make my neighborhood that I used to play WoW in all over again. Wow, that's like cool. the neighborhood in game, like not my real neighborhood, not with like the little nerd characters sitting at a computer in the game, but like actually the neighborhood where all of my my wow how my you I said wow my Ultima Online houses were where I used to PvP all the time. Like it's it's real nerdy, but it's exciting me to build. <laughs> that's cool. I mean, obviously you like the game if you beat it and you put that many hours into it and you push through even the slow parts because there was enough game there for you. Like that says a lot because as much as like you i mean i know that i play a lot more games than you i sample a lot more games than you but you do a pretty good job of like trying a lot of different things especially for the podcast like i know that right. i do that sometimes you do that sometimes we're like oh we want something new to talk about let's grab something that we wouldn't normally get um yeah but it's rare for you to actually go all the way to the end of a game so anytime you actually have beaten a game that speaks magnitudes about it and i love this game like I don't know. This one might be my favorite Dragon Quest game overall. That this one is... I haven't finished 11, and that's why I can't say that for sure, because I'm waiting on the Switch release. But of the ones I've beaten and played, like I think this is my favorite one. Like It's really good. That if you guys have started Dragon Quest Builders 1, and you liked it, but kind of felt there wasn't enough there... Builders 2 fixes that by far. It is how sequels should be done. It is the perfect kind of sequel. Uh, I, I cannot recommend this one enough. I have two podcasts at Dragon Quest FM uh, where we've talked about this, and we're going to have another third one where we wrap it up. So if y'all are interested about that, you can go listen to those at DragonQuest.fm. <laughs> but awesome. really, it's a great game. I, have you tried it yet? No, I mean, I played the first one a little bit, and I got frustrated with little bits and pieces of it. But it sounds like the second one made a lot of quality of life improvements. So maybe yeah. I should try that instead. I know my kids have played the demo and they liked it. 
but it's one of those games where like i asked like what do you think? Right. And they're like oh we liked it a lot and then a week later i was like oh how's that game going like are you still playing the demo do you still like it did you beat the demo and they're like oh we haven't touched it again so right you know, i remember that, that yeah they they like but they don't love it because if they really love a game they'll like they'll squeeze everything they can out of a demo or out of a free version or something. And that's when I know that it's like, okay, maybe I should actually get this for them. They haven't exactly. done that. Like they just tried the demo and they're like, oh yeah, that was cool. And they didn't really go back to it. So I gotcha. Maybe I should make some time for it, but like I'm in fire emblem right now. So oh, yeah. not right now. I understand completely. Like that's one of the reasons if I hadn't hit the credits on dragon quest today, like actually I got there today. If I hadn't hit the credits today, I wouldn't be seriously considering fire emblem. But now that I have and I know that I've gotten that past me where I'm not going to feel like that specter of it hanging over me. I can really feel like I could play I could play Fire Emblem and then come back to Builders 2 and enjoy it as that casual game since I finished up the story. Oh, totally. Yeah, that would be great. That makes a lot of sense, especially with travel, just to have both yeah. with you, like in the Switch, if you buy one of them digitally, that would be a great setup. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I was thinking. Keep Builders in the in the Switch, keep fire emblem just resting on the sd card and on top of everything else i had i'm not even gonna have to worry about getting the case out and swapping carts and doing everything else that's really annoying on a plane (laughs) it is it is really annoying when you travel i like digital but that's well known um okay well that's probably it for this week you guys can write to us with comments suggestions or feedback our email address is geek to geekcast at gmail.com or reach us on twitter at geek to geekcast we also have longer discussion threads on our subreddit at reddit.com slash r slash geek to geekcast we also have great discussions on slack and discord you can go to geek to geekmedia.com for invite links and you can hang out with us there and while you're there you can check out all the other content on the network I blog at agreenmushroom.com, and you can find me at grnmushroom. That's green mushroom without the E's on Twitter. And I'm on Twitter as at Professor Beej. That's Beej with two E's, and you can listen to me even more on the Dragon Quest FM podcast. We've been Void and Beej with your Geek to Geek podcast. That'll do it for this week. See you next week, geeks. Hey Geeks, this is Capsule J. I'm a streamer on the Geek2Geek Media Network. If you like discovering new games and chatting with cool nerdy folks, be sure to check out my channel on Twitch. You can find it at twitch.tv slash CapsuleJ. That's C-A-P-S-U-L-E-J-A-Y. I stream a blend of indies, retro games, and RPGs most Tuesday nights from 8pm to 11pm Eastern, and occasionally on Thursdays and weekends. Hope to see you then! Hi! My name is Joe Hogan, and I'm a geek. And if you're currently listening to this, there's a good chance you're a geek, too. So check out my podcast, Geektitude. Each week, I talk with somebody about their geek aptitude. Sometimes I talk to people in a geeky profession. Sometimes it's someone doing something really cool with their geekiness. Often it's another geeky podcaster. But it's always someone who wants to share their inner geek. So join me each week as we come together to geek out about all the geeky stuff we love. And remember, this week, keep it geek. Hello friends, this is Troidal Power inviting you to join me over on Twitch most weeknights sometime after dinner. Video games have always been a social hobby for me, with friends and family crammed together on a couch chatting away while someone holds the controller. And thanks to the power of the internet, I've got my own virtual couch over on Twitch where you can kick back and goof off while I play games. Find me on Twitch by searching Troidal Power, that's T-R-O-Y-T-L-E Power, to snag a spot on the couch. 
Hello, I'm Katie. And I'm Chelsea. And together we are Tea Time with Katie and Chelsea, a podcast all about pop culture. We talk about books, movies, music, basically anything we want at this point. Yes, we obsess about K-pop. And Keanu Reeves. And sometimes Katie cries on the podcast. Hey, that's rude. But really, we are just here to talk about all the things that we love. So make sure to head over to teatimewithkc.com and geek2geekmedia.com to check us out. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to our show wherever you download your podcasts. Bye. Bye.